John chapter 6. Now, before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, uh, I want to put it into context for you because we did take a look uh, at the at the man um, at the at the well who is crippled and uh, the well of Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda. And we took a look at that last week and this idea of what do you want and uh, how you have to stop blaming others and what is required for someone to be healed. And we went through those four aspects of it last week. Now, in the remainder of John chapter 5, <clears throat> Jesus gives um, uh, almost a sermon uh, where there's three kind of topics in the remainder of John 5. And because I'm on Sunday mornings, I, I, it's, though we're going verse by verse in some respects, it still is topical in the sense that I'm not going to do the entirety of the book of John. But I will give you what we, we stepped over so that you'll, you'll know what it is. It's almost like a flyover. In the remainder of John chapter 5, verses 16 to 23... Uh, there's a title probably in your scripture that says, Honor the Father and the Son. And the key verse in that area is verse 23. It says that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So Jesus describes that. And then in verses 24 through 30 in John chapter 5, uh, the idea is there's life and judgment. They're all through the Son. And in verse 30 is the key verse there. I can of myself do nothing, Jesus said. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So you see a picture of the Trinity. You see a picture of, of what the Son does and how the Son is obedient to the Father and submits to the Holy Spirit and is guided. And then the fourfold witness who testify, and we see this in verses 31 through 47, uh, John the Baptist testified of Jesus, Jesus testified of himself, the scriptures testified of Jesus, and then the Father testifies of Jesus. So we, we see the deity of Christ, we see that he's the Messiah, which is what John wants to put forward, and all of this is listed in those verses. Now, that is the sermon that Jesus gives, and after he concludes that sermon, we pick up in John uh, chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 1, so please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. John chapter 6 begins with, after these things, and that's the, the three things that I just read to you, uh, that in the entirety of that sermon that Jesus gave. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Roman name for it. We know that John is in his later years uh, writing the gospel of his eyewitness account of Jesus' life because at this point with Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee being called uh, the Sea of Tiberias, uh, we know that that's a Roman term that would have only come later following Jesus' uh, time on the earth. So it says in verse 2, Then a great multitude followed Jesus because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain... And there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. So it's springtime right now. It's pleasant. It's not boiling hot. The grass is green. There's fields to sit in. Jesus lifted up his eyes, verse 5, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. The idea of a little is a crumb. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad. Lad means, I would probably say around seven years of age, if not a little bit younger, just a tiny little fellow. Uh, there's, a, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And barley loaves, don't think of a loaf of bread, think of a cake, a barley cake, almost like an English muffin. Uh, it'd be like a Long John Silver's value pack. Uh, <laughs> I don't know any other way to describe it. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down in number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, meaning the 5,000 men, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to a mountain by himself alone. And then we'll stop there, and I'll, I'll read more later, but we're going to stop there for the reading. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, we see this, this feeding of the 5,000 listed in all four gospels because it's something you want us to know. And so God, we're here to receive. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you lead us into all truth. We ask you to minister to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. <clears throat> this feeding of the 5,000, is, as I said in the prayer, is found in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The only difference is in John's account, which we're studying this morning, in John's account, there's uh, an addition to it, and that's when Jesus goes through this discourse that isn't found in any of the other, other gospels when he talks about being the bread of life. And uh, it's almost like what he did with a woman at the well. I uh, give you living water. You'll never thirst again. He talks about the bread of life. You'll never hunger again. And so he's, he, he uses both of these opportunities to take the folks that were present to go deeper. As he did with the woman at the well, he's doing the same with the 5,000 that were present, but more importantly, with the disciples themselves. And you're going to see a disconnect between the multitudes and the disciples. Jesus had this way of ministering. He had the three, which are Peter, James, and John. And he would have them do things that the other 12 wouldn't do. So he had the three, the 12, the 70, and the multitude. The three, again, Peter, James, and John, got to see things that the other 12 didn't. The 12 got to see things that the other 70 didn't. The 70 got to see things that the multitude didn't. So Jesus had folks that he would pour into in a greater capacity than, than others um, outside of, of the, the ring of influence. And this is kind of how our lives operate. You should have in your life at any given moment as a disciple, you're discipling others. And you should have the three and you should have the 12 and the 70 and the multitude, how your life operates in the idea of spreading this gospel. So Jesus is working with these disciples, these apostles, and he wants to pour into them. And he's got a powerful lesson that he wants to impart to them. And I was thinking about this, that, that God has this ability to put us and orchestrate these events or these circumstances in our life in order to speak something deeper into our life. And this is one of those events because following this, we saw at the, at the end of the verses that we read that, that they wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to force him to be the king. And, and Jesus goes up on a mountain, but we find in Mark's account that Jesus forced the disciples into the boat. He said, get in the boat, go to the other side. Now, the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias is about 15 miles long and about seven and a half miles wide. And on a clear day, you can see around the entire uh, shoreline of, of, of the Sea of Galilee. And so they're going to row across to the other side to Capernaum, and, um, and Jesus is forcing them into the boat. He's not getting in with them. He's forcing them into the boat, and then Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. And, and it also says in Mark's account that he is watching them from this mountain, praying for them. As we see in Hebrews 7, uh, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He's at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. So he's interceding for these disciples because he's putting them into a storm. And this storm is going to occur that we'll see in the later portions of John chapter 6. And they're going to be rowing. And they're going to be rowing against the wind. They have to take the sails down. There's going to be a storm. It's going to be contrary weather. They'll have been rowing by this time for about nine hours. Their hands will be blistered. Uh, their, their legs will be tight. They're, I mean, if you've ever rowed a boat, you know how exhausting it is. I haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> I've rowed a little bit. But it's exhausting. And, and here they've been doing it for nine hours. And they're actually at the midway point where they're, they're so tired. It almost reminds me out of Nehemiah where it said that the wall was half its height and the people were exhausted. So the wall was 50% completed and the people were 100% exhausted. And the worst part about a wall being 50% completed is if you're out of energy, the, the rest of the wall is going to require the most effort because the bricks have to go higher. And that's, that's where... God meets us is that when we have come to the end of ourselves, that, that's where God begins. In our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And a lot of you right now are in a storm. A lot of you right now are going through a trial. A lot of you are exhausted. A lot of you don't think you can continue on. And, and what looks ahead of you is so daunting and overwhelming. And this is exactly where God wants you to be. There's, there's different kinds of storms. Uh, Jonah was put into a storm of correction. But in this account, it's not a storm of correction. In this account, it's a storm of instruction. 
Jesus wants to instruct these apostles to a greater capacity because something happens in the feeding of the 5,000. Something happens in, in, in the lives of the 5,000. It's very similar to us. This same event that's happening with the multitudes happens in America to us as people every four years. And, and so what we see here is it says, after these things, that sermon Jesus gave, after these things, they went over the Sea of, of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him. So the multitude can see Jesus and the disciples from any location along the shore, and whatever direction the boat's going, the multitudes are running to get to him. Why? Because he's healing the, the blind and the lame and the deaf and the mute and the demon-possessed, and, and he is the biggest show in town, and thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousand people are following him all around the shores. Word has gotten out about the wine at the wedding and all the things that are happening and the man at the pool of Bethesda, on and on and on. And these miracles are drawing people in in droves uh, around the, the shores of Galilee. And so they follow him because of the signs that he had performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the other accounts in the scriptures say that they were completely exhausted they were so wiped out, they were completely cooked. Um, and, and at this point where they're, they're tired, Jesus is going to teach them uh, some very deep, powerful truths in their life. And, and they're tired and also says that they were hungry. They hadn't had any opportunity to eat because they were so busy going from place to place. They hadn't had time to eat. And so when they arrive on the shore, in the other gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, when they arrive on the shore, people begin to just swarm on them. They're tired and they're hungry and they're sick of people. Anyone ever been there before? (laughs) Ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) They were coming and going, the scripture says in the other account, and they had no time to eat themselves. And, and, And when you're hungry and you're tired, the last thing you want is somebody asking you for something. Could you help me? Could you do a favor for me? Uh, my favorite is, I know how busy you are. That's my, that's my favorite line. I remember I said that to Miles McPherson one time. I said, I know how busy you are. And he looks at me and goes, no, you don't. <laughs> I, was, I was humiliated. You have no idea how busy I am. It was an assumption on my part. And it was, it was a kindness trying to, you know, get what I wanted and say something stupid. I don't know. But they're tired. They're tired. You know, this, this week was an interesting one for my wife and I. We, there was one day in the week where we hadn't seen each other the entirety of the day. And it started, for me, it started at five in the morning and got to about 1030 at night. And we were able to go out to dinner with a couple in the church and they had been on our heart and we wanted to spend time with them. And just to hear what God was doing, because a lot of struggles and trials for them, the things that they're facing, and they love the Lord, and they're, they're, they're just faithful. And, and we wanted to encourage them. And, and by the time dinner was finished, we were going to go back over to the house. And, and I, I confess, as much as I love the time with them, I was tired. I was tired. And um, as, as we're driving back, Michelle and I actually had to show up at the location in separate cars, because we were coming from two different locations. And as we're driving back, my daughter calls and says, there's a member of the congregation that's out front of the house and, and needs some help. And I thought, okay. And uh, I was heading home and, and then word got that they had left and they'd, uh, they were driving down Petrera, got in an accident. Uh, not, not bad, they weren't hurt. But when I got there, um, it was interesting because I'd gone down Potrero towards the university and I didn't see them. So I came back up and then I went down towards Hidden Valley. And, and as I was driving, my heart was renewed and overjoyed with the opportunity to spend time with this person. I, it's like God gave me a joy about it. I don't know how to describe it. When I got out of the car, there were two folks that were assisting and, and, my, and my brother was there, not my, my biological brother, brother in the Lord. And, and uh, everything was set and we got it all arranged and he, he got in the car and I went back over because somebody was going to put a note on the scooter that had been damaged. And as I walked over, it was a man and a woman and uh, one of them said, are you Rob McCoy? Uh, I, I usually want to say, why? <laughs> 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 but I can't do that. 
I said, uh, yes. And um, I can't remember if it was a woman or a man that said, I didn't vote for you, but I'm going to now. <laughs> Even though it's a little late. <laughs> and they said, anyone who'd come out at this hour of night, and I, it didn't occur to me. It, it was, for me, it was a joy. I, it, it really was. It was God's heart. And it was special driving back and then to see so many things I got a chance to see. My heart was touched. And, uh, and I thought about, and, and as I was leaving, I turned to the two of them and I said, don't we live in a lovely community that folks that don't know each other would stay by someone's side until help would arrive? And right there we were touched. All, all of us just gathered there. And it, it, was, it was deeper than that. This, this to me was a picture, I think, of, of how the disciples were feeling. They were tired. But yet, God's going to show them that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. He gives you the desire and the compassion to help. Jesus didn't heal everyone. Usually, you'll see when Jesus operates, it says because he had compassion on them. The father told him, I have a burden for that person or that person. He healed many, but not all, the scriptures say. In this world, you'll have troubles. We're in a fallen world. Sometimes God allows disease to continue for a deeper lesson. It may not be a corrective storm. It may, it may be an instructive storm. I would say this. You can caution someone that you see in habitual sin that is, is sowing to the wind. They're going to reap the whirlwind. And you can tell them, don't do that. And you can, you can warn them. But if they go into that storm like, like Jonah did, they're going to reap what they've sown. And the way of the transgressor is hard. But if you come upon somebody like Job, who is covered in boils or diseased, um, you know, out in the city dump, scratching themselves with a pot shard and, and uh, you know, emaciated, and you don't come upon them and say, well, obviously you are in this situation because you are a wretched, vile sinner. Because someone's going through a storm doesn't mean they're sinning. And for us to presume upon someone's life because they're going through a trial... We have no idea when we step into the middle of it if it's an instructive storm or a corrective storm. And before we open our mouth to discourage as, as, as Job's wife did, curse yourself and die, or Job's friends, you know, obviously there's sin in your life or you wouldn't be in there. But we know the story of Job. He was going through this because he was a righteous man. So be mindful of that when you're ministering to somebody that it could be corrective or it could be instructive. And so <clears throat> here Jesus is going to send the disciples into an instructive storm. And it all comes about as a result of this. It says the Passover feast, verse 4, was a feast of the Jews. It was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes. He saw a great multitude coming toward him. So everyone's hungry. They're all coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread? Actually, the other accounts are cool in the sense that... <clears throat> All uh, three, of the, uh, three of the four accounts, John is the one that doesn't do it, but the other three gospel accounts, the disciples say to Jesus, send them away. <laughs> Make them go somewhere else. It's like the new title of your ministry, IDC Ministries. What does that stand for? I don't care. I don't care. Somebody else can do it. Send them away. And at this point, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, John picks up at this point where he doesn't add the part where they say, send them away. But John does say that he answered, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that, they, that these may eat? He knew Philip. Philip, um, Philip to me is like Ken Hasegawa. Philip is a guy like Ken. If you've never met Ken, he's one of our elders. He is the most organized. I bet you if I looked in his closet, the white shirts would be here, the blue shirts would be here, you know, and, and, and down the line. And when we're in an elder meeting, every, I mean, he is so meticulous. And he's such, in a sense, a blessing in regards to that. It's, it's the antithesis of me. And at first, we, we kind of, uh, I, I couldn't relate. It was orderly to me or piles. Um, <laughs> You know, and if, if Ken lived in my world, it would, it would drive him nuts. If I lived in his, it would drive me nuts. But the two of us together, it's, it's like a whole human being. And, and, and I'm sorry? He completes me. Thank you. <laughs> what kind of a church is this? <laughs> 
So, so Philip is, is the organizer. Philip is the guy that wants to get a committee together. Philip is a guy that wants to see the spreadsheets. Philip is a guy that wants to start to calculate all the resources. And, and he, is, he is the quartermaster. And so Jesus turns to Philip because he knows this is the guy that this is really going to tweak him. And he turns to Philip and he says, where are we going to buy bread, Philip? Philip Mealy, oh, let's see here. We've got um, some, we've got 200 denarii, and that's not how Ken talks, that's how Philip talks. We have 200 denarii, and a denarii is a day's wage, and he, he's thinking we've got about seven months of, of wages, uh, and he said, multitude 5,000, and that's just the men, so you had the women and the children estimated over 10,000. He's calculating this, and he's thinking to himself, as he's already laid out the spreadsheet in his mind, this man is meticulous. He knows how to get the stuff where it needs to be, and, and what will suffice, and what the needs are, and, and the transportation necessary for that. He would be epic for a general and military to move troops. Logistics guy. And Philip calculates all of this, and Jesus was testing him. This was a storm of instruction. Jesus was testing him, for he himself knew what he'd do. <laughs> He's the God who spoke the heavens into existence. Yahior wah yahior, light be, light was. And, and as, as he knows the answer already to the question he's asking, he's doing it for Philip's sake. And Philip answered, and he says, well, verse 7, 200 denarii is not sufficient for them. That everyone may receive just a little, if I calculate that, and we calculate 50, and if we project the data upon that, with everyone, they're going to get a little crumb, just a little crumb, just a little something, something. Not much. We can't do it. It's impossible. Our resources cannot feed the multitude we have present. And that's all Jesus wanted was for Philip to say, this is beyond our means. We also have another one on staff that has the ability to tell us that the resources available are beyond our means. Pastor Denny. <laughs> he sends out spreadsheets every week to us. We are not going to make budget this week. And, and, and Denny is my favorite because, again, he completes me. Um, <laughs> I, I need to see Denny's side of it. I need to see Ken's side of it because it's wisdom. And it's, and it's prudent. But in the same regard, you don't want to dismiss what God wants to do. He wants us to come to the end of our resources so that we would trust him by faith. And, and so Philip designates that this is an impossible situation. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, which is Simon Peter's brother, Andrew said, uh, Andrew's the kind of guy that, well, we can get this done. He is the eternal optimist. We can do this. And he hears Philip say, this can't be done. And Andrew jumps up and he says, well, we have a lad here, a seven-year-old. He's got five English muffins and two sardines. <laughs> and the minute he says it, and there's a, there's, a, there's a comma there, actually, colon in some accounts. The minute he says it, he pauses. And he sees all the disciples looking at him like, what? <laughs> and his response is, uh, but what are... But what are they among so many? <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> just, I'm going to go hide in rock. He just... He was trying to be positive. We can do this. We've got a lad here with, with five English muffins and two sardines. We can do this. He was at Long John Silver. It's the value meal. We, but that, I'll shut up now. And Jesus said, make the people sit down. Luke's account says, put them in groups of 50. So they got 5,000 people. They're putting them in groups of 50. You over here and you over here. And if you've ever tried to put on a men's retreat or a women's retreat, you got people saying, well, I want to be in this person's room or I want to be in this person's room. I can't stand that person. Oh, they snore. I can't be in a snoring room. I'm going to need to be on an upper bunk, not a lower bunk. I got to be close to a bathroom because I have issues. And you know, all these things. And so, so they're trying to put them in groups of 50. And you can imagine how hard that was. It's like herding cats. Come back here. And they're putting them in groups of 50 and, and they're, they're, they're doing all the logistics and they're laying them out. And, and really what Jesus is, is saying is those, those insights, those abilities I've given you, exercise them. You know, pray for a garden and pick up a hoe. Uh, the idea is work as though it depends on you, pray as though it depends on God. Do the things that you can do and whatever your lack is, that's where you're seeking God in the midst of your prayer. But just keep doing those things. And so they're orchestrating them in groups of 50. And one of my favorite accounts in the scripture, not in the scriptures, but in Christendom in relation to somebody who did this. And I want to read this to you. This is a story of one of my heroes, George Mueller. Uh, the, George Mueller of Bristol was in the early 1800s. He ran an orphanage that today would be an annual budget of about $10 million. He never asked for a dime. Never asked for a dime. $10 million annual budget, never asked for a dime, and every need was met. 
And there's one account where the children were dressed and ready for school, but there was no food for them to eat. The cupboards were completely bare. And this is what George Mueller did. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller there was no food. George asked her to take the 300 children in this one specific dining room into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. So they set the table, had the children sit down, they prayed, thank God for the food, and they waited. You can imagine the kids going, usually when he says amen, doesn't that mean let's eat? You know, and they're, they're waiting. And, and as they're waiting, it says, George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in the front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. Now George smiled and as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk, it was just enough to feed the 300 thirsty children. He did what he could do and let God do what he does. George was faithful. He has over 70,000 accounts in his diaries of God's miraculous blessing. But the difference between George Mueller and the rest of us is we go through the trials George went through, we go through the needs George went through, but George went to his knees for the needs. We just continue to try to spin plates, we borrow, we, 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 do, we finagle, but the last thing we ever seem to do is go to God. God brings us through these storms of instruction to teach us the power of prayer of reliance upon him. I want you to realize you don't have anything that I don't first give you, God says. You're not a self-made man. You're not a self-made woman. Reliance upon me, the power of prayer. And so even Andrew, who's the uh, eternal optimist, he's crushed. I don't, even, I don't even see optimistically how we could do this. And Jesus made them sit down, as we heard before, in groups of 50 from Luke. And there was much grass in the place. And the men sat down in a number of about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, so he, he gave a prayer of thanksgiving like you do. It's a, it's, it's, it's a prayer before a meal. He says, Heavenly Father, thank you for this. And I, I praise your name. And, and he prays. And as he prays, the other scripture says that he broke them. He gave thanks. He broke them. He began to distribute them to the disciples. And then the scripture says the disciples to those who were sitting down and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. And so he breaks the bread and he's passing the fish out. He's breaking pieces and they're dried salted fish. He's breaking them. They're passing them out. Now, uh, some theologians say that as the disciples were walking and they had the little piece of bread, they'd walk over and they'd take off a piece and give it to somebody and then they'd look down and the piece would still be there and then they'd take another piece and, then it'd be, and they're just watching this. But I, I personally think that he's the author of life. I think the miracle's happening in the hands of Jesus himself. He's just breaking it, just going... And he's just handing it, just handing it out. And, and it's, it's fascinating what's occurring because... These men are walking out, and they know what resources. Andrew knows, Philip knows, everyone, the disciples knows, and they're walking out, and the people are eating as much as they want, and they're gorging themselves. The scripture says, so they, they were filled, and the idea of filled is they had to undo their belt buckle. They, they were, they, they had, the last you know, bite was in their mouth. They couldn't even swallow it. They just could move it around. Just... <laughs> And just bread, and they, no one had eaten like that since they could have imagined. And everybody is just glutton. They are just filled to the brim. And, and then Jesus, this is the part, verse 12, that touches me in the text. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing, I love this, so that nothing is lost. Not so the bread is lost. Remember, this is a storm of instruction. I want you to pick up all the fragments so that we don't lose a teaching opportunity. When all the fragments were picked up, it was 12 baskets, 12 disciples, 12 baskets. It was basically Jesus was telling them, I've got this, I always will. Why are you worried? A question for all of us this morning, what does your worry accomplish? You lay awake and you worry. Read and trust. Take God at his word. Thank him. Verse 13 says, Therefore they gathered them up the twelve baskets with fragments of five barley loaves which were left over for those, by those who had eaten. And then it says that all of the men present 
when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, I remember when I said every four years we go through this storm of instruction and God wants to teach us through this what happens to us every four years. Look at verse 15. This will be our key passage this morning. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Mark's account and Luke's account say that Jesus pushed the disciples into the boat, forced them into the boat, and then he went uh, up on the mountain to pray. Why did he do this? Because all of a sudden, the multitudes realized that they have their new king, the bread king. He's going to lower interest rates. He's going to create jobs. He's going to strengthen the military. He's going to reduce the debt. She, the bread king. All of our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations are are being leveled upon a politician. The disciples were learning that they weren't manufacturers, they were distributors. See, you and I aren't reservoirs. God didn't give you what he gave you so that you can sit on it and die and let go of it with your kung fu grip when you breathe your last breath. He created you to be a conduit, a conduit to bless others. Just like the little boy. The little boy brought what he had. I love the faith of a little child. I couldn't have been a 13-year-old. He's like, I ain't parting with my food. In junior higher, they, they get there. My son, Daniel, at 16, would never part with food. <laughs> he would eat yours. I don't know what happened. I, I, I go to Costco. And then I have to go the next day. <laughs> Whole chickens, he eats, bleaches the bones. Just, <laughs> it's like a Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> It's like one of those tree trimmers. But this little boy brought to Jesus what he had. Almost, almost a childlike faith. It reminds me of the Christmas story that you find in Guidepost about the awkward kind of offset, uh, heavyset young, young fella that they wanted to put in the school play in elementary school. And they didn't have a part for him, so they, they let him be the innkeeper in the Christmas story. And he, and he was a little slow. And Mary and Joseph came to the door and his job was to say, there's no room in the inn, go away. That's what he was supposed to say. There's no room in the inn, go away. And he was practicing his lines and they were worried that he might not be able to pull it off. And, and all of a sudden, this little elementary school Christmas play, Mary and Joseph come to the inn. He opens the door and this boy looks at them and they're panicked, wondering if he's gonna get his lines down. He says, there's no room in the inn, go away. And he says it with a furrowed brow and a sternness. And he nailed his lines. And a sigh of relief from the teacher and the rest of the faculty. And then Mary and Joseph, forlorn, begin to walk away. And, and the little boy's furrowed brow changes as he watches them walk away. And his heart's broken. He changed the Christmas story. <laughs> he, he watches them walk away. He says, Mary, Joseph, Wait. You can stay in my room. <laughs> this is a true story in Guidepost. It changed the whole Christmas season. And just this little boy says, you can have what I have. A thankful heart is a satisfied heart. Give thanks for and in all things. And when you're thankful, it's enough. And when you give it to Jesus, it's more than enough. The idea is that when you come to the Lord and you give him what you have, in all circumstances, are you willing to put everything you have in his hands? See, if you want to keep a hold of it, the Lord will let you, and you can make a mess of it. But he wants our lives. And he wants the entirety of our lives. And this little boy said... Take it. Mom gave it to me. And, and I've, I've heard you, Jesus. I heard you in, in the previous chapter. And I know who you are. And he was listening. And his heart was touched. He says, take it. And God feeds 
thousands of people through this little boy's offering. They didn't even take the 200 denarii and buy anything. They took this little boy's offering and they fed the multitudes by faith. And as they started to realize they weren't manufacturers, they were distributors, everything began to change. I, um, I was blessed. Uh, one of my opponent's um, supporters in the council um, is a member of one of the organizations I'm a member of in town. Really friendly man. And I, I've always had a, a heart to get to know him. And I was doing uh, Meals on Wheels on Saturday. And Saturday's my day off, and a bunch of stuff was scheduled. And so I get to the back of Los Robles Hospital for the Meals on Wheels, and I was supposed to meet with the vice president pro tem of this organization, and they didn't show up. I'm thinking, yes, time off. And this man drives up, and he had signed up to fill in the vacancy, and I, he says, I got it. I said, oh, I guess I got the wrong date. And he goes in, and I'm walking to my car going, time off, time off, time off. <clears throat> and as I'm getting to my car, the Lord says, go back. <laughs> Why? <laughs> this is my time. Go back. So I went back in. I said, can I help you with that? And I grabbed the hot box, and he grabbed the cold meals. And I said, you need a navigator? Sure. And we drove around all these homes, visiting elderly and shut-ins and bringing meals. And I got to hear his life and his story, and our hearts knitted. And I was touched by that. And the Lord has this ability, as he's doing with the disciples, this instructive period. If we're willing to yield and put our lives in his hands, we're always going to be satisfied. I left there satisfied, filled spiritually. It was, it was a profound day for me. <clears throat> And so when we see at this point where Jesus perceived that they're about to come and take him by force to make him king, he goes off on a mountain. And, and, and here's why this is the verse we're going to close our morning with. Jesus knows exactly what the people want. They want the bread king. Lower the interest rates. Make us energy, energy sufficient. Cover the debt whatever, create jobs. What are you looking for? What, what are your hopes that you're hanging on one of the 35 Republican presidential candidates or one of the two Democrat candidates? Maybe three now. <clears throat> what, what do you think's going to happen in 2016? And yet all of them see, and you want to talk about a candidate. He doesn't just promise it. He just delivered. Could you imagine a campaign rally with a guy like that? Bread for you, bread for you, bread for you, bread just bubbling out. Bread, 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 This is the guy. By the way, it says the Antichrist is going to come and meet all of our perceived needs. We're going to fall for him, hook, line, and sinker. What can the government do for me? And we are, we're in. More than 50% of Americans are dependent upon the state in some way, shape, or form. And, we, and we, we look at that and we say, this is the answer. Is it? And they wanted to make Jesus king. They wanted to force him to be king. And, and guess who was totally on board with that idea? The disciples. Look at this. We got a coup. We're going to win this election. We've already won the primary. You are the candidate, not just a candidate. They don't even want to vote. They just want to do it now. Let's just make you king. The bread king. Bread king. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, get in the boat. No, 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 no. Breaking. Get in the boat. No. No, we, have, we will take Rome. We will get Israel back. We'll get the boot of the Romans off our neck. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the guy. Get in the boat. Why? Row to the other side. Fine. When we get to the other side, can we do the bread king thing? <clears throat> get in the boat. They get in the boat. Pushes it off the shore. Off it goes. They're going, where are you going? 
going up on the mountain. I'm going to be praying. You go to the other side. I'll meet you. <sighs> Off he goes. He gets up to the mountain. It's dark. They're rowing. The storm comes. Massive storm. Don't have time to read through it. Evening came. His disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, went over toward Capernaum. It was already dark. Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose. A great wind was blowing. So when he rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. He said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Well, that really helps. I've never seen anyone walk on water and it is freaking me out. And this, this, is, this is the secondary time where Jesus was in the boat. The first time they had given up all hope of living and they woke him up just to say, we figured we'd wake you up because we're all going to die. You might want to just say you're, you know, write a note or something on waterproof paper and let everyone know that we won't be here shortly because we're going to die. And they were screaming, like, oh, Jesus said, peace, be still, and I'm just calmed. They're like, whoa. And it was Peter who said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Who are you? And now they're in another instructive storm, and Jesus isn't with them. And right now you're in an instructive storm, possibly. Maybe you're in a corrective storm. I'm not going to presume. Either way, the Lord has got you. In one case, he wants you to let go of the things that's killing you. and the other, he wants you to trust him. He's taking you deeper. He's got this instructive aspect where he wants to bring you to the end of yourself. This circumstance is this idea. He wants you to be willing to put everything in his hands like that little boy. They've got that, that picture of that little boy coming and they're touched by being led by a little child and, and they saw what Jesus did and he's orchestrated this event in their life that, that they would go deeper with him. And here's what Jesus is doing. And this is why verse, verse 15 is so profound. They wanted to make him the bread king. And I'm not, I'm not proposing a theocracy. I'm not, I'm not proposing a national theocracy. I'll tell you what I am proposing. I'm proposing an individual theocracy, a personal theocracy. Could you imagine what would happen to our country if we trusted the Lord in the midst of the storm. If we brought to him what we had and trusted him by prayer and started to seek him, if we really became people of prayer, he has a, he has a way of doing that. He'll put you into an instructive storm so that you start to realize the power of prayer. Oh, I don't need prayer right now. I think our nation is at such a place and when you sit down at a dinner table with council members and their spouses, that they're, they're hungry for prayer. They were so polite and kind to Michelle and I. We had no idea what to expect. You run for office, you begin to make assumptions about people, and, and, and you, you're caustic, and you're divisive, and you're brutal. And it's almost like you have the the freedom to say things that you, you haven't confirmed. I get frustrated when people send me emails of stories that they've never taken time to prove that attack somebody's life. And, and you come up with an assumption and, and, and yet all you're doing is destroying people God loves. We don't have enemies as Christians. We have opportunities. And I was ministered to at that dinner table. I wasn't coming in as Pastor Rob. I was coming in to serve. I was, I was coming in to learn. You're going to set them straight and you're going to set this on a course to change the time. No. And then the fascinating thing is I, I, I found out on a Friday at one and on Saturday the phone was ringing off the hook of everyone's bread need. Can you fix this? Can you fix that? Can you do this? Can you do that? Mm-hmm. Notes and cards and requests and 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 as a, as a servant, that's our job. Public servant. But the only way that you have the ability to love people that have needs is to be trusting in the God that provides the resources for those needs. Can you give me what I want? or what I perceive I need? 
I don't meet your needs. The Lord meets your needs in the riches of Christ. I'll ask for wisdom. You know, theocracy is a system of government where priests rule in the name of God. And we think, what can we get from God? I want bread. Well, what is it? What do you want from the government? What do you want from mankind? You know, we are, we are a nation where we feel that, that, that we have a right not to be offended. We, we've, changed, we've changed our language. And, and, and we're so quick to be offended. So slow to serve. The Bible says be slow to anger. It's amazing how we come to a conclusion immediately and they're the enemy. I, I, I've shut off the, the television. I can't, I can't even handle the, the visceral comments whatever side of the aisle. Those are people you're talking about. People God loves. It doesn't mean that we, we, don't, we don't debate in the world of ideas and, and that we don't want to see these implemented. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying put your head in the sand. You know, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan got along really well. And they were on the polar opposites politically. But you know why they got along? Because they cared about each other. It's not personal. And, and in this process, they want to make him king. And Jesus turns and he says, that's not what we're going to do here, fellas. I want to show you where your needs are met. And he sends them out onto this instructive, into this instructive storm. And he sent them into that. And in the midst of it, in the middle of the storm where they're scared to death, he appears to them walking on water. The scripture goes on and we're limited in time. But at this point, it was Peter who said, Lord, bid me to come to you. He steps over the boat and he begins to walk towards Jesus. And they received him into the boat. Immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. And we'll go on next week to cover more of it because I'm limited in time. But Jesus goes on to say, I'm the bread of life. He said, don't look for an earthly king who's going to meet your needs. Individually trust in a God who will take you through storms of instruction to prepare you to trust him so that you would serve others. It's not, what can I get from God? It's what can I give to God like the little boy and what can I give to others? God was taking these disciples through a storm of instruction to teach them how to serve others. Yeah, you were tired. We all are. But our life is not our own. Where can you serve in this community? Well, you don't understand my schedule. You don't understand how tired I am. Yeah, I do. In some respects, yes, I do. And I know there's more time. And I bet you, I know this. I, I know this for certainty. I do know this. If you ask God to arrange your schedule, you'd have plenty of time to serve in this community. And one of the reasons why we don't want to give is because we think it's ours. And we need to take the lesson from the lad. Mary, Joseph, you can stay in my room. I know there are a boatload of folks in this room that have empty rooms that you vacuum and dust. Well, every day in our community, there are foster kids that need a home. And the fear and the responsibility paralyzes us. And yet God is saying, I want to use you. You know, we want, we want a king that allows us to be left alone. And God wants to be king of your life. So it's not about you, it's about others. And we're going through a storm of correction as a nation. But for us as believers, we're going through a storm of instruction. We're the solution. But it's going to require that we row in the direction God demands. And when we get to the other side, 
we've learned the lesson that we don't need an earthly king. We need the king of kings in our heart to rule and to reign so that we would bring him what we have to touch the people he loves. God had this in every four, all four gospels because this is a lesson he didn't want us to lose. And we're looking at a room that can change this county. You bring him your loaves, you bring him your fish, you become men and women of prayer, and you row in the direction he demands. And he'll visit us in the midst of the trial, and he'll give us strength when we're surrounded by people who have needs, and he'll give us compassion for them and love for them. And where do you see what happens? It's not an earthly king we need. It's the king of kings in our heart to realign what it is we do. Amen? That's it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And God, we would say, God, I, I don't have it to give. Well, then you put them in groups of 50. Or you, Philip, you, you count and see what we have. Andrew, you go find the lad. And we, we do what we can do, and then God does the rest. If we're willing, God's able. But you give them something to eat. It's not somebody else's responsibility, it's ours. We're his children. We're his people. And he's placed us here for such a time as this. We get to give them something to eat. Not a handout. We're not bringing them the bread king. We're introducing them to the king. And so God, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the body of Christ that faithfully meets in this valley. As your word is rightly divided and lives are strengthened, we pray that our community would be touched. We pray that this lesson wouldn't just be theory but God from this day forward to be application we thank you God for your provision your blessing and we love you and we praise you in Jesus name amen amen, amen. let's stand close with a song of praise